Are you craving incredible song recitals? Are you interested in a behind-the-scenes view into professional song making at the highest levels of artistry? Are you looking to develop your own artistic and entrepreneurial skills as a classical musician in this ever-changing 21st century landscape? If you found yourself saying yes to any of those questions, look no further than Cincinnati Song Initiative's week-long program, The Fellowship of the Song. Taking place this year from May 19 through 26, The Fellowship brings together some of the country's brightest song performers and teachers for a week of classes, concerts, and study events. And we invite you to join us as an auditor, either in person in Cincinnati or online wherever you may be located. When you join the fellowship as an auditor, you gain instant access to the entire week's events and can go back and relive the magic through HD video recordings of each and every session. To learn more about this incredible new opportunity, visit CincinnatiSongInitiative.org slash audit. Hey everyone, I'm Laura Lavoir, and this is Song Cycle, the official podcast of Cincinnati Song Initiative, where we talk everything art song. It's history, it's creation, it's performance, and it's ability to tell stories that connect communities. In this episode, I have two guests with me, Sam Martin, my CSI partner in crime, and the inimitable Karen Slack. Sam refers to her as La Divina, and I think that's an accurate title. She is not only an outstanding singer and performer, she is one of the most delightful, down-to-earth people I have ever met. I hope your heart is as full listening to this episode as my heart was talking to this extraordinary artist. (gasps) There she is. How are you? The goddess is here. La Divina. <laughs> Listen, here. are all doing our best. <laughs> Welcome. It's great to meet you face to face. Karen, oh. I will have you know that I put on eyebrows just for you. <laughs> and you should feel very honored by that. <laughs> I do. I put on extra for you. So <laughs> I'm here for the extra. They say guac is extra and I say give it to me. That's who I am. So i'm all about it <laughs> how are you oh my god are I'm, you in philly i am i'm in philly and um i feel like i have not stopped working which is great but at the same time i'm fast track learning all of these new skill sets and I'm, I'm i think i'm like i'm like here i'm like beyond my wig like i'm like <laughs> you know, i would like to get a little of a bit of break but i can't so we're, we're, I'm sure we're going to talk all about that because it's so relevant and you are like in the center of the vortex of all of us that are relearning and retooling and adding new skills to our tool belt. So I'll be super curious to hear some expanded thoughts on that. But before we start, you have my sympathy on that front. <laughs> well, listen, we are all, as long as it's all about the work, listen, as long as we're working, if we're working during the pandemic, I think that in and of itself is an accomplishment and a miracle. <laughs> Amen, sister. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Karen, thank you so much for being here. Just well, Sam and I, when we when when this fir- podcast first sort of became a thing, we were like, we have to get Karen. <laughs> we have to talk to her. 
<laughs> mostly because I was like, well, I've been watching her from afar on all these live streams for the better part of a year now. And at this point, I just feel like I'm lurking and I'm creepy. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, we got to get in our own Zoom room here. Absolutely. So, I, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> You're very welcome. When I got the invitation, I was like, I'll be there. Yes, yes, yes. And I was sort of like, well, what are they going to ask me? Because they're asking all my friends. And <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we, I was like, I was like, Laura, we're going to ask her. But I guarantee you, she's the most in-demand woman in the country right now with all these things. So we got to like, leave. don't be too excited. She's probably really busy. <laughs> So thank you for carving out some time for 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 us. For a little well, CSI. <laughs> we're all doing the thing, so yeah. yeah. We're trying it anyway. Mm. But anyway, so generally speaking, this is a very chill thing. Um I know I sent you like a script, but basically we can talk about whatever the heck we want. Um what I really was interested in, Sam touched on this just a little bit ago. What what we would really love to talk to you about is um, kind of your, both like your performance career, but also what you've done during the pandemic to really expand um, your brand mm -hmm. and what it means to be, um, you know, a viable presence in social media and what it means to be an artist in this sort of emerging, tech emerging technical age, even though we've been in the internet age for what, 40 years now? And Mm -hmm. classical well, music is finally starting to catch up and we just want to talk to you about that and what it means for you and entrepreneurship and arts leadership and like being a woman in all of this and also just being a diva and fabulous in all respects all <laughs> doing it. Okay, so. you. I, I'm ready to talk and there's no question um please feel free to ask what you what you want to ask I I as you know by watching my sh my show I'm very open and free and comfortable and i want people i we need to have conversations that other people don't want to have so people can learn you know Absolutely. Well, ask me what you want to ask about my career about any you know anything like that so well thank you i mean we need to know you know <laughs> well thank you for that that invitation and for being so willing to talk to us because i know that this for so many people has been a really we'll say interesting time um both as performers but also just as people and i'm actually i'm in i live in minneapolis and as you know the the trial for derek chauvin is starting now and it's been really it's weirdly a blessing and a curse to be here because in the building i work in they're like we are gonna have extensive amounts of security but at the same time it's so fascinating to just be alive during this time and to see history being made five minutes from where I live. So mm -hmm. chances are stuff like that is going to come up, but just thank you for that invitation for um, being willing to talk to us and be open about, you know, your life and your performing and everything. It's, we're just really grateful to have you here. Thank you for the invitation. So Karen, let's go ahead and dive right in. So we're going to start with just a little bit of getting to know you. So Karen, mm -hmm. who are you? <laughs> for, for the millions of listeners that we have for our budding podcast i doubt that anyone doesn't know who you are but for those random few that don't tell us about yourself well my name is karen slack 
hyphen Blackwell. I married someone. I happened. I managed to marry someone with a ma with a rhyming last name. I love that. <laughs> Crazy. Um, I am a daughter. I am a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. Um, I'm a soprano. I'm an arts administrator. I am a talk show host. I am, uh, you know, dot, 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 dot. I am building my brand. Mm -hmm. I am all of those things, but mostly I'm Kiki. <laughs> yes, yes. What, what, um, Karen, to sort of uh, put us in perspective. So I feel like so much has changed in just the last year. Before COVID hit and we were forced to rework everything, tell us a little bit about sort of what you were doing and what the majority of of your activities and your career were looking like and then of course it's going to be like a whole another segment to talk about everything and all the amazing work that you've been doing in the past year alone as you've built everything out so what did your pre-covid i guess for all of us more traditional career look like before things took a topsy-turvy turn well i guess two days ago a year ago <laughs> was that March 7th was the last performance that I was doing a night of opera mm -hmm. arias um, at a, a college in Massachusetts with several of my friends with orchestra. And before that, I had done three recitals. And then before the week before that, I was singing at the Met. I was doing um, Serena in Porgy and Bess at the Met. They added those couple performances and I got the chance to do that. But all fall, I was covering at the Met and then I was in Europe doing um auditions and so my life was just very much like the traditional uh, opera singer singing gigging auditioning um all that good stuff and then COVID. yeah well you have but you have a very special place in your heart and more so than many people for carving out space for concerts and recitals as well you i, I you know from what i've followed of you you're very passionate about that and so over the course of this episode, we'll be very curious to hear about how you wed all those things together, because it seems like you have a, a pretty equal passion for all three. Oh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it certainly looks like you make time for a pretty equal trifecta of concert recital and operatic work. Yeah, I'm not the singer to go around the world singing opera, 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 opera. I would get bored. I have to stand in front of that piano and express myself and make mm -hmm. those artistic choices. I feel like that part of my career makes me a better opera singer. Ah, can you, yeah. Can you ex expound upon that a little? Did, did you develop uh, a passion for art song and your recital work? And, and to what extent does art song differ from opera in your mind? How, what, what part of your soul does it feed that opera might not? Well, I would have to say my all time vocal idol is Jesse Norman. Mm -hmm. She of is course. my... <laughs> We she, love her. <laughs> I know. And, you know, and I, I love Jesse Norman. And she, when I, when I was a very young singer, when I was like a kid, she was the uh, other, well, Maria Collis and Jesse Norman were the two voices that I heard that changed my life. Um, when I was a 14 year old kid at the Philadelphia High School for Creative and Performing Arts, my teacher, uh, David King, my choral teacher was, is a, was an avid opera goer and opera he loved opera and so he would play maria collis and jesse norman and i was like oh my god and then i found out that jesse norman was a black woman and i was like oh my god i gotta you know find out and i just saw that she had this 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 gigantic concert career and recital career and 
um, and the leader and the chanson and just all kinds of things. And so I immersed myself in that and I, and I got the bug and I fell in love with it. Of course, opera was the first thing because again, everyone wants to be an opera singer. No one says, I'm going to be a concert singer. <laughs> I right. Wanna... Well, and, and also <laughs> not to interrupt you, but also, you know, opera singer is the iconic catch-all term for non-musicians, right? For what a, a, a classical singer is, right? They picture opera. So for all those reasons, that makes sense. Absolutely. But yeah. then I found myself like being connected to people like Fassbender and Ludwig and all of the singers that had the trifecta career were all my always my all time favorite singers. And so uh, I went to Curtis Institute of Music for my schooling and at Curtis, we have a very small department. So you had to sing mm -hmm. opera, you had recitals uh, consistently every year. And my and the, the first, I remember being like 20 years old and being like, I'm gonna sing four last songs. And they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so immediately like my, my Strauss, because it just suited my voice, suits my, he suits my voice so well. Brahms, um, you know, Mahler and things like that. Mm -hmm. Even when I was a very young singer, it always was the German leader that, that suited All my the voice stuff. the best. But it was in my heart, it's in my spirit. And every song you get to be a different character and you get to make all these sounds without the constraints of you gotta sing the high C like lean teen price on Patria Mia and you gotta sing this soaring line like this person, like in opera, there's so, mm -hmm. many, so many histrionics that you have to check the boxes where I think in lead and in recital rep, you just, it's about you and what you want to say. Um, and I've always been very connected to what I want to say. Although I always call myself the, like a, I was a singer that was like a puppy with big paws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of just doing everything and flailing around. But I always had my gift and my, my, my sound and I always had my, my heart and how I wanted to make music. And I always feel the most settled and comfortable when I'm in recital and the most mm. free in a way. You know, mm. yes, of course there's freedom in singing Tosca and freedom in singing all these big grand operatic things that what I which I love but I haven't I just I had that other part of myself as an artist and I think I excel in it as well as opera you mm. know and of course concert standing in front of an orchestra mm. come on like best of both worlds right and you get to wear a gorgeous gown and you get to do dress how you want to dress and do the thing and just create the art to me that's just mm, freeing it, it in, in a way that opera is isn't so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I fight to do recitals. I, I used to call my friends who were teachers and say, I will come for $2. I just, <laughs> just got to sing this program. I'll come and I'll teach. I'll come and I, you know, and I know that- Be careful what you offer. You may get a call from CSI one of these days. <laughs> I used to, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, I, I, but I, but again, if I have a recital program that I'm trying to work out, I'll call you guys and say, Hey, I have this interesting program. Can I come and try it out? Can I come and test it and see how it, how it goes? But I got, I got, got that impetus very early, like, you know, and I, and I really do push to do at least three full recitals every year. Well, I, I saw, I, I heard you speak about that on, on one of your early live streams and it, uh, it's so true that one, especially in America in today's day and age, there, there definitely does have to be a little bit of pushing uh, if you want to prioritize that, because it, it, it is uh, unfortunately seemingly not to be as commonplace as it once was, or at least not presented in as grand a light 
as it once was, right? Absolutely, especially if you have a bigger voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, you know, Nielsen and Flocksha, all of these great, say not that my, not that I have that kind of instrument, but all of these great singers sang leader, you mm-hmm. know, Lehman and all that, you know, there was no, and now it's just a different, like something happened. I don't know. And I don't know really the history of, of recital, the art of recital over the years, but this idea of like, oh no, you, you know, very early in my career, they used to tell me, and I won't tell the organization, well, oh, you don't want to do that. You just want to sing. You just just sing opera. Like you just your your personality, your spirit is just operatic. And I'm like, uh, okay, like, but I want to do this. Oh no, you don't need to focus on that. Mm. You know, and this idea that you have to have a certain kind of there's a certain aesthetic that's right. very maybe leaning towards more British European. You know, mm-hmm. well, I should say European, but you know what I mean. And yeah, and if you have a fuller instrument, that you shouldn't want to sing leader but again i gotta say i go back to say it makes me a, a, a better opera singer because i know how to play with colors and play with text because who wants to sit through a 90 minute recital with somebody just making sounds right right Truly. right well thank you for thank you for saying that because you know i think that is a huge difference not necessarily a difference but it's there, certainly a unique aspect about art art song <clears throat> and um, just just different priorities, right? Between art song performance and opera performance, there's different uh, moving parts, and so that creates different priorities. So it's so refreshing to hear you, such an accomplished opera performer, say that how much art song and recitaling informs your operatic artistry. Yes. Um, at, at, at worst, I think art song and recitaling can get a bad rap just because it's this more. Um, uh, niche or just off the beaten path aspect of this classical singing thing and so it gets like looked down upon so it's just so nice to hear you say how much it actually improves your your operatic performing listen if i could travel the world doing this art form and doing concert and recital and just do opera and i'm i'm gonna say it i don't care uh maybe yeah. once a year i yeah. would be so happy yeah curating my own things mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I i would you know yeah. bringing bringing the art the art f- song format and in, maybe into theatrical things in a way you know like a lot of people are doing now with the Vitaliza and mm-hmm. other things like i i would be gosh and i never thought that i would have that dream i never thought it i just thought i would just want to just you know sing at all the best opera houses and all you know and just be doing all of the grand roles and and I have to say that that's not at the top of my list anymore. It's just about making art. Well, and that tracks because you are such an individual who has uh, amazing thoughts and ideas, both about the industry, but also you're so artistic yourself. And so it totally makes sense that this this form, which uh, provides you a lot of artistic freedom versus being in the constraints of, of a huge production where you're, you know, for better or for worse, uh, just, you know, a moving part in a larger, you know, cog, um, that totally tracks as to why you would be so attracted to that because you have such a unique personality and we know you have so much to say. That's one of the joys of recitaling. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think the maturity part, like if Mm. you just stay in it just long enough, you Mm. know, so many people, they get just so beat up in this industry. And it's like, if you just 
hold on a little bit longer and just become a, and away from the, the rules and out of the boxes, you know? And kudos to anybody who stays in this, right? We need kudos to just to give you. ourselves a lot more grace. But if you just stick in there just a little bit longer, you might, you might land in the place that you never even, you know, dreamed of. This is some pure gold. I hope we have lots of young listeners listening so. to this. Yeah. Well, Karen, one of the things that you mentioned that I think is so applicable to what we're going through right now and what you mentioned about like art song is kind of what you like to do. Um, and it's just so great to curate, you know, your own programs. One of the things that I think is so applicable to what we're doing right now is there's such a drive for people to tell stories that connect them to other people. Right. And I think that's something that I personally have experienced, but I've also seen other people go through is we're, we're in a time when we feel very isolated, both physically and socially, emotionally, mentally from other people, we're finding ways to connect with them. And I think it's really interesting that you bring up this whole curating your own program, telling your own story, coming up with your own ideas, creating your own artistic voice mm -hmm. that really reflects who you are and where you've come from, where you're going and where you're at, that allows other people to connect with you in a way that opera might not let them. Do you know what I mean? I certainly do know what you mean. Yeah. I think a lot of that was born out of the frustration to not be in the places and, and sing the things that I want, that I wanted to sing, but being put in that box that I keep talking about. Yeah. And it was just out of pure, like, effort you know like i'm sick of the i'm sick of the gatekeepers i'm sick of the people the same people who choose the same 10 or 15 people you know sometimes i'm on those lists and sometimes i'm not you yeah. know and so it just was out of just like you know i have too much to say mm -hmm. yes ma'am mm -hmm. you know to like be held back from somebody else's choice of whether or not i can do this or not for someone who can't actually do what I can do to make a decision whether or not I'm able to do it or not. Yeah. Ludicrous. Absolutely. So I have a question for you. Now that we've talked a little bit about um, your love of art song and the stories that they can tell and how it allows you to break those, break down those gatekeepers and tell stories, what to you defines an art song? I've asked a lot of people this question throughout the podcast and everyone has said something different. And it can be anything from like, art song is based strictly around, you know, the instrumentation. It has to be a singer and a pianist. Mm -hmm. Other people have said things more in depth about the text. I have, well, I did an episode on my own opinions on what art song is, but I'm curious to you, like what, we've talked about the difference between art song and opera, but what to you makes an art song an art song? Mm. What makes an art song an art song? the poetry, right? Of course, the accompaniment, you know, uh, I, what I, what I found as I matured is that to me, the art song is about collaboration. It's about two people coming together to tell one story. Mm. That's what it is to me. And that's why I love it. You know, and as, like I said, as I mature, as I grow, as I am uh, experiencing life, I'm hearing it differently. I'm looking at the black notes on the white page differently. I'm reading the text differently. And then when I come together with my with my partner, we are coming together 
to tell this story. I never thought about it like that before. It was just, I just wanted to sing this gorgeous music and put my heart uh-huh. on this thing. And now I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. This is about two people coming together and having that experience of telling each of those stories. And to me, that's what our song is. It, uh, and that's, I think that's how I approach recital programming who wants to sit i don't i, I always go and do you want to sit in the theater and listen to you sing this program and yes that's, that's how i program yeah everything with the audience first in mind but all but mostly can i tell what stories are we going to tell together that's what our song is to me love that i'm getting emotional <laughs> laura don't cry i'm fine <laughs> no that's really beautiful and like I just really appreciate that you that you said that because like I have I have talked about myself far too much on this podcast over the course of however long it's been running. But that's one of the things that endears art song to me so much is you have the ability to curate those stories for yourself. And not only can you inhabit them, but you can allow like you invite your audience in with you so that they can be there, that they can experience that with you and that's such a gift yes it's such a gift i want you to take me with take us with you when you leave that's yeah. the point that's the that's the sharing part that's the me having the thing come out of me into into the space it's to give for you to take it and take it away if you liked it or not if you hated it if you loved it if it moved you it doesn't matter but you felt something i gave you something to feel, you know, that's all that matters, you know, but I didn't used to think like that. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. I went to the finest school, went to the finest young artist program was in San Francisco, um, opera. I did my, you know, my recital and everything and it got great reviews, but I, I was singing and expressing and all these things. But like I said, now I just look at it just so much different, but that's what's supposed to happen. Right. That's how artists mature. Like that is what it is. And in 10 years, I'll be a different artist. But I have to tell you, this time has changed the way I'm not the same person I was a year ago. Mm. Not the same artist I was a year ago. So what has changed for you? I mean, apart from the obvious, mm-hmm. but what, what has that connecting and storytelling and music making and collaboration, how, how has that changed for you for better or for worse, I guess? Yeah, well, I have to say, right at right before um, the pandemic, I was freaking exhausted, and I think I had COVID because mm-hmm. I was sick in the bed for like a week, and I was I w- when I went back to the med, I was I was like my lungs were swollen, my throat was swollen, like I was a mess. I was a mm-hmm. mess, but I managed to sing. I was fine, and then I had to do those recitals right after three back to back, and I had to fly to Massachusetts to do the um, opera concert. Still like on the the mend of that, and then the pandemic. Literally, I was on the plane and the whole world shut down the next day, and I was exhausted. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, well, well, yeah, no, first I was like, oh my God, uh, everything I had for the summer was canceled. And I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to support myself? Mm-hmm. And then, because we just thought it was going to be a few weeks, right? Remember, we're like, uh, oh, I remember. Uh, uh, we like, uh, it'll be over. 14 days to stop the spread, remember? <laughs> yeah, oh my exactly. gosh, that feels like another lifetime. <laughs> we're so clueless. We just had no <laughs> We're like a couple weeks, and it's like, oh, just a couple months, and then it was like, yeah. we're stuck in the house. We're, you know, we're, out, we're never gonna be able to be like the cat looking outside the window, like. Oh. <laughs> 
outside and we're in the house, you know? But um, so first I freaked out and then I was like, okay, wait a minute, you're exhausted. You gotta get well, you know, you've been going and take the time to rest. And then George Floyd and was murdered. Right. Yeah. And that's when, and I, you know, and before that, I really didn't feel like singing and I, you know, whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to sing. I don't have anything to look forward to. And they were asking for these stupid virtual things. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. I don't even know how to sing. I didn't want to sing on the phone. And, you know, I didn't have a ring light. I didn't have anything that I have now. And I'm just like, oh, you know, and, and then Mr. Floyd was murdered. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay. I, I got to sing, but I didn't want to, I only wanted to sing spirituals. Ah. Didn't want to sing any arias, had no interest in singing um, uh, art song, nothing. I wanted to sing spiritual. Then that's how I kind of sort of got back to singing spiritual because it was a place that I had to, it cut me to see that man murdered on on the uh, on the television. I have this big gigantic television in my house and every day I had to watch the images over and over and over again. The only thing I could think to do that I could, that I could, tried to save myself was through spirituals and then slowly i was slowly getting back to like trying to sing an art song or trying to sing a recital i mean a, a opera arias and stuff and but just to see that over and over again every day and then my phone started ringing for all these conversations and all these you know around, mm. around race and classical music and it started to bring up all of this shit. Mm -hmm. yeah and i started to 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 uh traumas that i had been holding on to because you know this generation's new generation is very much into how they feel mm -hmm. my generation is like okay you feel it but you got to keep doing the thing yeah you got to keep moving forward you got to keep you know but it but the, the the traumas of the things that have happened to me in classical music in my career kept was coming up and all of this stuff was coming up and then it was coming out in my art and you can't go back yeah. You have to just keep moving forward. And every song, every aria, every time I was eight was to, you know, and then we weren't singing. So on top of the the traumas, on top of the racial things, on top of all the conversations, I had I had nowhere to sing except my house. So when I did have the opportunity to make a virtual recording, it was all coming out. And it was just all this stuff, all these colors, all this, this voice, all this, these, the way I was singing phrases and things. You you can't go back from that. Mm. Yeah. And so that was it. What was that like for you while it was happening? Were you, if I may, mm -hmm. was it, um, were you confused in the moment or did, I mean, you probably knew where it was coming from, but was it such, was it such new sensation and things that you were feeling that, I mean, how did you feel when it was fresh, when it was happening in the moment? Well, I remember the first time I had come back to singing after not having sung for months, I was just crying, you know, in tears. I was singing Visidarte for, um, oh. yeah, Zuaignun and Visidarte. Oh. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to make a comeback, you might as well make it big. <laughs> that's the only way. That's the slack way, honey. Like, that's <laughs> <laughs> Do the thing, you know? Um, and I, I was at my coach's house. And of course, you know, we're social distancing back then. It was just like we were even pushing the envelope by even being in the same space you know last summer and just weeping just weeping yeah. because it just felt everything felt different mm. everything felt different and um yeah i and i thought i was doing the thing i thought that i was expressing in a from a very deep place i was i am but this is different 
this is another place, you know, and um, yeah, it feels beautiful. It feels beautiful. Like I just did a recital for Marilla. I had to re-record my recital for Marilla that got all jacked up because it was a snowstorm. And I was just listening to it. They sent it, they sent it the other day. And I was like, well, damn girl, mm. you are really singing. You are really singing. This sounds beautiful. It's my program um, song of, of the I Sing Songs of Love and Justice. And I was like, wow, I want to hear this program in the third reiterate, the third time I do it. Mm-hmm. I wanna, like, I want to, you know, I did it and it was good. It was beautiful and it was heartfelt, but I'm like, damn, the third time I'm really going to kill. I'm really going to get to the place, you know, but yeah, it, um, it's, it's fascinating. It is really, really fascinating. I'm shocked myself. Cause I'm very hard on myself. <laughs> I'm very like, oh, who wants to? Oh, oh, you know, Ajita. Everything is like, oh God, that note, that. The, but I can hear, I can hear the soul in my singing when I hear when I listen to myself. I can hear the different so artists. Do, do you think when when everything happened last summer, and I will say that that was a long time coming, in the sense that you know we should not have. We should have been fighting for this since 1960 and before. It shouldn't have been just this one incident that was like, oh yeah, this is still a thing. But it, was that an opportunity for you when you got these phone calls to you know, have these conversations and have these roundtable discussions? Was that, was that your opportunity to say, okay, I've been abiding by these gatekeepers. I have been following these rules. I've been doing X, Y, and Z thing in order to perpetuate my career to where it's supposed to be. And was that kind of your your moment to say, okay, I'm finally gonna grow into the artist that I've always wanted to be? Was that was that kind of that moment for you? I would have to say maybe the it was not until the LA Opera panel. I remember that uh, panel. That panel. That was a panel. That was oh, a panel. That was God. a panel with a capital P. Game over. All the letters were capital. I wept during that panel. Like, yeah, it was. Oh my gosh. uh And I was full into combos too at that point, too. Right. I think I started combos in March, April, Mm -hmm. April, something like that. And I think the LA Opera panel was like June or July or something like that. I had already started to to plant my seed in a way but never the intention ever the intention to to be you know the person or to to have the conversations in that way um but it was the la opera panel when i when i um when i said what i said (laughs) (laughs) and people started seeing me different and i just had a free there was a freedom like people were listening to me and people and 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 import, important people in this industry were calling on me for my story and my advocacy and my activism, which I don't claim that I'm an advocate. I'm not an activist. Oh. Um, uh, I lean heavily into my advocacy, uh, and I let them decide who is an activist and who's not. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I I just when I got the mic, I I said what I said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause, and it's my story and I can tell my story how I want to tell it. It's my truth. It's is truth. Yeah. But it's not to be accusatory. It is to heal. It is to teach. And that's the, always the place that I come from. And I think that that's why people respect me. That's why I have gained respect. That's why I gained a position, you know, Absolutely. in this industry. Yeah. Well, and I think the only way, you know, to 
like you said, promote that healing is to share the stories, to yeah. share the truth. Because how how else is anyone going to know? I mean, on a much smaller scale, I tell this to my husband all the time. I'm like, how am I supposed to fix whatever it is we're fighting about if I don't know what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Even though hearing what's wrong can be very painful, mm-hmm. you know? I'm sure if I told a few people that what you did to me or what you said to me or you, you know, you kept me out of this space devastated me or could have changed the trajectory of my career if you had just been a little bit more, I mean, how, what are they going to say? How is that? You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm sure it would be extremely hurtful if I spoke about my, you know, my experiences specifically with certain people, but mm-hmm. how will they know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know? And not to do it to the the next Karen, not the next Karen, the next soprano, whomever that comes after me. Cause I am very aware of keeping the door open and letting people in and how I move right. is to, is to ensure that at least I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna help you get in the door or, you know, make it easier for you. Now what you do after that is join you, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I try to yeah. be responsible, a responsible artist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're so, I mean, so grateful and have learned so much over the past year. And I mean, but for you and all your brothers and sisters to have shared in this way and to go there and in such public platforms too, right? Um, yeah. you know, we, 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 we don't deserve it. Uh, and yet we've learned so much and we're so grateful that this watershed moment has come upon us. So I, I don't know what to say other than, you know, hats off to you all for taking the bull by the horns, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I have to say that. Let me just say this real quickly that, you know, shout out to all of the black artists who just took the took the baton and ran mm-hmm. with it and didn't think twice. Didn't think twice. Didn't think about their reputation. Didn't think about any like and just in this moment. Like I really feel like we kept the whole pandemic and classical music. We kept it alive. <laughs> It was amazing. It was amazing. But it, and it was it was strength in numbers. It was this moment of I mean, and what's crazier is that it all happened electronically and digitally. But it was this huge moment of solidarity. Yes. Oh, uh, not just black artists, but a lot of artists were doing some really amazing things. Yeah, yeah. But um, but truly, it was the, it literally was this like uh, uprising in the most literal sense of the word. Mm-hmm. So I feel unworthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you invoked you invoked uh, conversation. So let's back it up. So tell tell everybody what Kiki Conversations is, and then let's open that door to learn a little bit more about you know how you're evolving over this pandemic era and all the new facets that your career is taking on because it's it's all pretty much started with this the brand the, the kiki combos <laughs> i love my little show and I it's not so it. little anymore it's not little <laughs> i know i love kiki combos and i'm I, I missed it i missed last week and i'm supposed to do it this week and i'm it's all so much going on but anyway kiki combos was born at my kitchen table with my husband <laughs> talking i'm like i have this idea to do this thing and you you know, I had I had been wanting to to do uh, something like this for a number of years when I'm on the road to interview artists because I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. As you know, I love talking, but more importantly, I love hearing. Oh, you know, and that idea of being at like the hotel bar with a glass of wine or a cocktail yes. or something. Yes. Just talking. Yes. 
Yes. I miss so much. <laughs> and so Listen, Karen, I'm coming out to Philly. We're going to have a drink when this pandemic's over. Come on, girl. Come on. Let's go. I love it. I love it. I, th- I find fa- it's fascinating. And so um, I was talking to my husband. I'm like, what do you think about me doing this thing? And he's like, are you sure? You know, are people in the industry gonna, you know, what are they gonna say? And I'm like, well, you know, everyone's sitting at home singing to their phones. And I damn sure didn't want to do that. Like I was not <laughs> giving recitals on my phone. I was not doing that. And yeah. I know the artists were, were doing their, you know, their, their talk shows and talking to each other on Instagram and kind of staying connected. And mm-hmm. I just didn't see what I, what I would have done you know and so i was like well let me just create it and call my friends you know i just happen to have some pretty cool high power you know famous yeah. friends. and every time i asked someone to come on they were like yeah because of course we're all doing this sitting on our couch at home uh-huh one pandemic and so that's how combos was born i called janae was my first guest and you know and then and then after my first show uh terrence blanchard and his wife robin literally called me on the phone and was like we're going next we're yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to save Terrence for later because you know he's a big deal, right? You know, but we're we're like family. But they were like, we're coming on next because you you are so great. You have this thing, and everyone kept telling me Morris and Robinson and um, Stephanie Blythe. They're like, girl, you you you're onto something. And yeah. so I and that's every week I was churning them out. And then June, jam in June was when I was doing two a day, two a week, and I was interviewing all the composers. Composers, so I had, was, yeah. yeah. And that really kind of just shroom took it up, and I love I love that show. I I, I enjoy it so much. It exhausts me because I get so nervous. I always have the thing of like, oh my god, what in the hell are you doing? Like this is not what you do. And then I get in it, and then I'm like, it's like a performance. I get exhausted afterwards, but I'm so whatever this whatever the residue and the spirit of the guest they leave on me, it really does um, stay with me and. Um, I hope I want to build it. I want to make it a thing. And I tell my agents, I'm like, we're going to grow combos. We're going to grow combos. But my friends like grow slow, grow slow. You know, like I want to make it like, I want to interview more than classical artists, of course, Mm. you know, and really go mainstream with it. But I want to bring classical music along with me. Along, right. Yeah. And that's my idea. And, um, you know, yeah, I... I think I didn't know I had a gift for it, but it's a, just a different way to express myself. Although the platform was for artists, it was not for me. It was just for artists to come on and talk. Mm-hmm. But you're right, it is a gift because A, I mean, you know, every not everybody's good at interviewing and B, on top of your ability to interview all your amazing guests is you make them feel so comfortable. And some of the most vulnerable conversations over the course of the pandemic happen on Kiki Conversations as opposed to more straight-laced interviews that are sort of billed as such. You've got this amazing casual vibe for the show, but y'all, every single episode gets down to some nitty gritty all while sipping on a juicy cocktail. I mean, you got you got the balance sorted out and that's you you seem very natural at it. So that's I mean, that's obviously why it's become so iconic. Um, And, you know, we congratulate you on that because it's just such a you know, joy whenever you have an episode coming. (laughs) You know, you know, every when they get mad at me, the audience gets mad at me when I'm late and they get mad at me when I'm like skip uh, like a week or two. They're like, wait a minute, where's my show? They just they're savage. Savage. savage the yeah. savage audience yeah i'm like listen this is free y'all calm down you know yeah. you start <laughs> you've created a monster my heart okay <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep delivering 
Yeah, you do. You do. And it was a moment where I was like, I have been going straight since, you know, March. And I had taken three because I was like, okay, I have to go learn music. I have to do it. Because, you know, you prep for these things. You can't yeah. just have somebody coming. Like, it is a job. You have to, you know, the yep. bios and listening to people and finding out what it is yeah. you want to, to learn from them and all, all this kind of stuff. So... Yeah, we, we, this is, this is, this podcast is not about us, but we, I will just say we can hardcore relate because CSI has developed its own whole suite of streaming um, uh, uh, content this past year. And so we totally empathize with the fact that this stuff is time, time consuming. It is a labor you know, of love. <laughs> and the final, the final product, that live stream is a very small tip of a big old iceberg. Yes, absolutely. So so you know. we, we get it we get it and so congratulations to you for keeping on keeping on i can't wait to see if it you know if and when it you know does take off and goes more mainstream what a great idea to bring it beyond classical artists but all you know like you said bringing the frame of classical music along but expanding it and expanding the reach beyond classical music that is that is karen the the next frontier for us right because classical music used to be popular culture and it no longer <laughs> is it no longer is and what you're talking about is the germ of what could you know we could turn that ship around absolutely listen i don't shy away from saying i'm an opera singer i'm a classical artist it's who mm -hmm. i am like mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i am karen slack the soprano so but you're gonna take me how i am <laughs> but i am all these other things as well like i don't try to put you know only time i do it i'm out with my dad and he went my daughter's an opera singer i'm like everybody doesn't need to know this thing <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> but when, you know, in, in introducing um, myself in my show into this mainstream, I am coming at it as, as a classical artist who happens to love to talk to people on this platform and let me talk to you about this thing. And if you want to talk about, if you want to know what I do and who I am, you know, that's great. But never, it never, it, separating myself from the art it is it's a part of me so yeah yeah and, and, and we as classical musicians are regular normal cool incredible people who just happen to do this amazing thing like speak yeah. for yourself <laughs> I don't know if I feel that cool. <laughs> I know, I know. But again, you know, the idea that we're all these like ivory tower, you know, that the, the institution of, of the, you know, the, the hollowed halls of the concert, you know what I mean? And the opera, I, this idea, like, no, like for real, for real, like people are just regular normal people trying yep. to figure out how they gonna pay their bills. Like, cause people yep. need to understand that this is, we're the working poor, you know what I mean? Like that, when you tell people things like that, like that you know the very 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 few people make a lot of money in this industry uh -huh. and i think that covid exposed a lot of that yeah uh -huh. you know that that even at the top the more more money more problems like you know uh <laughs> that people yep. does you know yep covid has covid has been a a, a blessing in so many fucked up ways <laughs> Exactly. In terms of all, it's, in terms, it's so simultaneously the great equalizer, but also the oh shit, there are so many disparities. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh well, yeah. So many disparities, and even you know, at the 
at this the, the time when we were having and of course we can't remember agma all the stuff that was happening with agma because oh people God. weren't getting their money and the companies were like nope we're not paying sorry force majeure and like all of these things mm-hmm. well yeah. you know as singers were getting together and banding together trying to figure out you know how they're going to get their money or what the next move is there is a lot of disparities within the class of singers like some yes. singers are like no i don't i don't want to change the system other people like we desperately have to change the system of how artists are paid and so there you know we have a lot more work to do that we wouldn't have had to address you know it's like the one percent it you know has the benefit like it is in the real world and everything else totally analogous um so okay perfect perfect segue so you told us about conversations but um you also i mean you've been brought on in artistic advisory positions you're sort of starting to to show up at some administrative tables so to speak to the extent that you can share tell us about some of the stuff from that angle that you're starting to see maybe hopefully changing for the better or what are some goals that that the that soloists that are banding together have to try and move the needle forward you know those opportunities for growth right yes massive opportunities Well, I have to say, um, I ha- I am the co-chair of Women's Opera Network, which of Opera America. Okay. And I, I was doing that already before pandemic, and I was on the steering committee before they had asked me to be a co-chair. And um, I have always made it a, a point to say that I want administration to be a part of my future. I've right. always said that, and my friend Angela Brown actually reminded me. You, you used to say when you were, you know, young singer, "I'm gonna run an opera company someday." You know, and I totally forgot about that part. Now that I know, I'm you like, like color coding and sticky notes. I think I was <laughs> like, I'm gonna be the, you know, the leader. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, it was. I think it was the LA Opera Panel where I said. I don't want your seat at the table. I want mine. I need you to mm. move so that I can sit in my seat. I remember you saying that. That has stuck in my brain for months. You're a legend. Ah, you know, and I meant that. I meant to say, yeah, I want to seat at the table, but I don't want you to be afraid that I'm going to take yours because I have a place there. You just got your coat in my seat and I need you to move your coat out of my seat so I can sit there and I can... And that's how I feel. Like that's the energy that I that yes. I bring brought into that space and bring it to yes. space. And then my phone started jumping off, girls. Yes. <laughs> you know, my phone, like people are at, and I've had to turn down a couple of nice offers during this time, mm-hmm. I have to say. Um, but when Sue Dixon sent me a uh, oh god, I don't even know, it sent me a DM. Sue Dixon is the general director of Portland. Let into your DMs like <laughs> let in my DM and was like um can we have a meeting i'm like uh okay you know first i had never met sue she's the new general director as of i think maybe last season and i'd never sung in portland opera um i didn't have any connection to, to portland outside of having won the competition many 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 years ago and sue she, i had a meeting with her and she is like i've been watching you and you are exactly the person that i feel like is the future and I want, you know, I want you to come on as an advisor. And I was like, okay, like I've never done that before. But again, my male friends are advising companies. 
Mm-hmm. I married many women and no black women. So this is before mm-hmm. Afton Battle became general director at Fort Worth Opera, you know. Right. And it had been 35 years before, since a woman had been a leading, a black woman had been leading a company. Mm-hmm. And um, we just don't get those kind of opportunities. And so not even for advisor. And so um, I said yes to Sue. And it, it, it was, it's been a wonderful uh opportunity and then uh joel Joel ivany he's a director called me and asked me to co-direct the opera uh, program for banff center in in canada and i worked with joel already uh two seasons ago in dead man walking we had done like a year of dead man walking it was his production Mm -hmm. and i taught as an opportunity because they needed to diversify their programming again like you know uh and I think this is all what this has been about. Like everyone wants this change, but then you look around and there's like Sue and Kim, you know, Kim and Dan and Tamika and Keisha. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They are not there in those spaces. And I, mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to be, I mean, I'm not, you know what I no, mean? No, no. Yeah. Like they are, you know, there's no one there because they not allow us to be in those spaces because to even get those jobs you got to be in the system you have Mm -hmm. to be in the pipeline you have to your mentor your i told a a, an artistic director a general director just recently i asked him well what is your what do do your mentees look like you he said yeah i said well that's the problem Mm. you need to mentor people who don't look like you Mm. that's how you change the system you Mm. actively seek out incredibly brilliant people and women and uh, people of color women and you must have you know as you have five mentees if three of them you know look like you that's a problem or more all of them yeah we have to be intentional with these things mm-hmm. and not everybody wants to teach and because not everybody wants to be a teacher or should be a teacher <laughs> ain't that the truth right yeah. oh my gosh Right. Karen, I, you have really struck a metaphorical chord with me. <laughs> um, I just took my doctoral comprehensive exams and I realized when I was taking those exams that the most recent person, most recent person that I needed to study in order to prepare for these exams was Poulenc. Mm. He died in 19, in the 1960s. Mm. And so what you're saying right now is just really... I want to ask you, and I feel like this is a loaded question and it's a hard question that um, I feel bad asking anyone, but like, what, what has that experience being a woman for you? Not, and not just a woman, but a black woman moving through that pipeline, as you said, in order to get into a leadership position when the classical music world has been dominated very much so by white dudes. Mm-hmm. Because I think, you know, and it's something that, you know, Sam and I have talked about a lot as organizational leaders. And we say, okay, this is something that we want as an organization. But at the end of the day, it's just Sam and me, you know, we have the opportunity to go out and seek out artistic advisors who um, represent what, what we think is important and what other people think is important. But what for you has, what has that experience been like as as a woman going through all of, you know, these steps in order to get into artistic leadership. And what does that mean for you to set up that for future, future generations? 
Well, it, I have to say it wasn't until I built my own platform. <laughs> yes, you did. Did they start, did they, did they even believe that it was possible? for me to do, uh, uh, to be, to be in leadership, even, um, uh, of course the women, you know, like Catherine Smith, who, who is the general director of Madison, um, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, my agent, Anna D'Archuleta, uh, a few other women who are in the women's opera network, Laura Lee Everett saw my potential because I worked with them, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, 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 gosh, um, and Andy, Andy Jorgensen in St. Louis, he, um, he, he's the general director of St. Louis now. And I did a talk last summer, so summer before last, when we were there for fire, shut up in my bones. And, uh, Catherine asked me to do a talk, um, like a little brunch talk just to talk. And, and, and Andrew said, oh my God, like you have the thing to be a general director. Like you have that thing. And I was like, Oh, would you mentor me? Would you, would you let me shadow you, uh, <laughs> doing the, and he was like, what now? You gotta steal my, steal my job. Are you crazy? It was just <laughs> in jest like that. They saw my potential, but it wasn't until I built my own platform and started having these conversations. Did they go? Oh, Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. She, you started being taken serious, absolutely. seriously in big quotes. Absolutely. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not the only one that, and I, and I encouraged other women, other singers. And the more, the more work that I do through Women's Opera Network, the more singers feel empowered to speak and to say, and to be more present in these spaces. I was, was it? when when opera conference opera america conference was happening in st louis they um laura lee ever asked me to be on the panel and i'm on the panel with like esther nelson from boston and uh catherine and laura kaminsky and none of them knew me except i think catherine because she had hired me but they were looking at me like what's this singer doing here what do you know it's just like you can't go to opera conference if you're a singer like because it's an administrative thing right but when i was able to to speak and I was able to talk and they were asking me questions. Everyone's looking at me like, wow. Yeah. Subtle. <laughs> and I'm standing my, my beautiful black self on the end of the table with all of these powerful women. And I can see them all looking at me like, oh, oh. wow. Well, folks, this, <laughs> this is a podcast, but um, looks of looks of surprise and incredulousness coming from Karen right now. And that's just not right. Oof. I took my place. Yeah. I waited for everybody to say what they were going to say. Mm -hmm. And I said what I had to say again. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, I wasn't even trying. I was just like, duh, 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 you know, the thing. And then, you know, of course, in these big conferences in these um, rooms, you know, these meetings, there's all the people, you know, all of the, you don't know who's out there. Some people you see, some people you don't, and you know that these are all the important people in the industry, but that kind of started the thing. But uh, it is, I, for me, I know that my sheer presence in a space allows for other people to believe that they are there. And that's why I goes it goes back to what I said earlier. Like I I understand and I respect the fact that when I'm in these spaces to try to, to, to represent and do my very best so that people understand that yeah, yeah, I what I represent, but that other people can do the same thing if they want to. It's so 
fortuitous that you have all of those things inside of you that you want to do because so many people get into positions of leadership or power and they either don't have those broad of horizons of thinking or most cynically, they're not interested in sharing, mentoring, passing on, growing, Mm -hmm. right? If it could be a selfish thing at worst. And that's why we are where we are. And that's why we are where we are. Genau. So... And I know I have so much to learn. I'm not saying I know everything. I'm just saying I have a desire and a passion and I'm and I'm teachable. And I know that the skills that I have learned as a singer, what I've learned through this process, but you know, is that I the skill set that I have as a singer is immeasurable a use of you immeasurable use in, in administration. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All of the cocktail parties, mm-hmm. all of the things, the social things you have to do is what you have to do as a GD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all the schmoozing, all of the, you know, I, like I said, Mark Sorka said, what you know in your 20 years of snow, learning this repertoire is is necessary to be a leader, an artistic leader, instead of teaching someone as like the business person who comes into the business. Yes. You know, yes, you can learn how to read a spreadsheet, how to balance a budget, you know, how to work a room, you know, how to, how to speak to donors, you know, and you know, repertoire and you know, singers, right. Right. And you know, languages, what makes you know, and Laura like, you can do that job yeah. and you have that extra thing. Yeah. And the, 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 the golden egg of empowering artists to move into administration is that they have the empathy of literally coming from they're artists themselves. So it's not sticking some uh, Harvard business grad into a managerial position in an opera company and being in charge of all the wacky, silly, but, but, but legitimate things that come with taking care of artists, specifically singers and opera companies, but all those moving parts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it's, I think more like the, why isn't Stephanie Bythe running an opera company? Why I don't company? know. <laughs> well, well, to bring it back to art song, luckily she, you know, runs Fall Island at her and Alan Smith. And thank God for that, because that you. is a massive advocacy platform for uh, living American composers. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Why isn't she running, you know, uh, New York Phil, whatever that is, whatever yeah. it is, you know what I mean? Yeah. These, these the, the Shwini and, and Gurky and, yeah. you know, Eric Owens and, you know, I, Russell Thomas, you know, and this next generation and, yeah. you know, so, so many, so many artists and, you know, the idea that you can't do both. Yes, I understand. Yes. Putting out fires in one place and then opening night <laughs> at another place is sure. very tricky. But it doesn't have to be at the top, top, top. It can right. be, you yeah. know, working, working your your way up. But there is something to be said about empathy as an artist in 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 in, uh, in leadership. Yes, we need much more of it. So it's so funny that you mentioned that because as as a person for myself, I have bopped between three worlds in my working life. It's been I've been a performer, I've been an arts administrator, and I've also worked in finance like in the wall street finance world and seeing how important and my mom has done the same and seeing how important it is working in arts administration and being an artist and having those two things that 
create empathy for the organization that you're working for is absolutely like it's the most important thing you can have in an arts organization and that's one of the things that you know in following your career and listening to you speak and having you here today karen that's just one of the things that one of the many things that i respect about you so much is that you have said hey i'm an artist but i also have compassion and understand and have a desire to be involved in the organization and leadership of arts organizations, which we need so desperately. And people can be taught, right? People can learn, like you said, how to balance a spreadsheet or how to deal with donations or donors or, you know, any number of sort of administrative things that an arts organization deals with. But if you don't understand the people that you're working with or the people that you're providing for or the people that you're supporting, mm -hmm. what's the point? That's the point. Exactly. And also understanding, yes, as an artist, we serve the music. Yes. Right. First, you serve the music, the composer, but you are also still in service of your audience and your community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is also a part of the job as well. It doesn't just happen in the four walls. It happens outside of the four walls. You got to open up the walls so that the community can come in. And I think that's another part of, and that's another part that I think that artists of color, I'll just be specific, black artists about community. We grow up in community. That mm -hmm. is a part of our culture. That is a part of who we are. Uh, we are a community of black opera singers. And so the understanding that when those of us who go into um, administration understand, not afraid to go into the community, we already navigate in white spaces. So we already know how to talk to white people. <laughs> you know, we, we know how to talk to one another and we know how to talk to brown people and Asian people and all, you know what I mean? And so there, and, and we have empathy for the, the various situations that we've been in. We're not, we can't be afraid to outreach. Right. You know, and I think that that is also a part of it as well. And I encourage my white administrator friends or when I go to a company and I see that the development department or the education department can't even go into community. Like, I'm like, what in the world is it? It makes me so angry. Rightly so. Me angry. I'm like, get in. If you want people that look like me to come, you have to go to where they are and you cannot be afraid to speak to them. You can't be yep. afraid to go into these churches and talk about your opera company. Yep. <laughs> go and you know what I mean or whatever and I'm like you or that's to me is where a lot of the the money gets is not spent um the best yeah the development the marketing yeah I was like yeah you development education are to me should be the heartbeat of many companies because we got to get people to come but we got to get people to talk about how right. great of a time they had in the theater and tell their friends and tell other people, man, I saw this, I, I went to this cool recital and they did, you know, black composers or they talked about this and talked about that. Or, you know, there were interesting things that had that, you know, you can't be afraid. You have to, yeah, you just can't be afraid. Well, and you, you hit the nail on the head. It's going to be, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy too, right? If, if we connect the repertoire, the composers, the context of the music to the communities and to the society in which we live, I'm a very passionate believer in you can connect a uh, Schubert song and that, you know, uh, centuries old poetry to any situation of today, you have to think about how to do it. 
It takes tact. And that's where our artistic efforts need to lie in terms of cracking the code of how to connect to this repertoire, which spans, you know, centuries, um, brand new stuff written yesterday, but also we all worship and study and see the beauty and relevancy of centuries old songs. We do, you know, we've studied it. We to crack that code to connect any or all of those songs to the society in which we live today. Right. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we just turn into a museum. Yeah. And that ain't right. You know, no. so for. you hit the nail on the head with that in terms of connecting the repertoire to, to the communities in which we are based. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. People need to see themselves, hear themselves. Yes. Stories feel connected to yes. Schubert leader in a way, or like, wow, I had that experience. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. uh, all those, all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We ha I had a, co a conversation with Shauna Pebolo on our composers and cocktail series a couple months ago. And, you know, we were just discussing, you know, how simple the concept is, but I, apparently it's been so elusive in the classical arts for so long, but just, we want this open, generous world of, of telling the stories that, that reflect the communities in which we live. Yeah. It seems simple. <laughs> where do we go astray? <laughs> Othering people. Yeah othering people are thinking that oh they're not gonna they're not gonna get that mm -hmm. thinking ahead for people yeah. you don't know i'm a kid i'm from the inner city in, in north philadelphia you know i come from a working class middle class family and i got to be an opera singer i got to sing i've got to be a sing a classical singer and i get to travel the world and do the thing what if i would have thought oh that's not for me i can't do that yeah. I can't, I can't, the audacity to think that I could aspire to be Jesse Norman or Maria Callas or to seek, you know, Denise Graves at 16 and go, I want to be that. What if I'd have been like, oh, that's not, that's not for me. Yeah. The yeah. world would have missed out on something very special. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or to have been an audience member and to think that, you know, I, I, many times I talk to people and they're afraid to go into the theaters. I've had... I've had racial experiences in the theater going to see my other friends. I'm a singer who loves to go to, to live music. I love to go to the symphony. I love to go to the concerts. I love to go to the opera. I love to be the loudest person cheering for all my friends. You know what I mean? Like I, I love, I enjoy that, you know? And um, I've had experiences with people looking at me like, oh, this is your first time. No. <laughs> oh. yeah. Actually, you've probably seen me on stage a few times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had to tell a lady, well, you actually saw me do that show last year. Oh, my gosh. I had to do that. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And this one lady, she couldn't stop asking me questions. My husband was getting so furious. And I'm just like, be cool, be cool, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or when people of color go, you sing opera? Like, or you sing classical music? Like, why? Because <laughs> uh. that's, that's what I've been assigned to do, honey. That's what I say. <laughs> That's my assignment in life. That's for for better or for worse. It is what it's it where is. I'm it's where you are. Yes. <laughs> exactly. We oh. all have gifts. That just happens to be my oh, you must sing all the time. No, not really. <laughs> <laughs> mm -mm. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I read an article yesterday in Rolling Stone of all places, um, about Juilliard. Mm -hmm. oh, my yeah. beloved alma mater and <laughs> they 
the person who wrote the article was basically like, let's talk about how Juilliard does not set up its students for success anymore. And how, you know, we, <laughs> yeah, that was a moment of like, but also you're right. Um, and how, you know, we've had these, I'd like, I just remember people sitting in practice rooms for eight to 10 hours a day, practicing the same eight measures of a piano sonata, you know? And Karen, you mentioned something, or you said something that just really kind of brought things full circle for me. And you said that um, in the, is when we were talking about how black artists really kept classical music alive during the pandemic and how you have the opportunity now, you specifically have the opportunity now to um, take on a really um, amazing role in arts leadership and your work in social media and developing your brand. Um, but just breaking down those walls of what classical music kind of puts us in. And this article, I was reading it, it was talking about like, why aren't we training our musicians classically, but also training them to understand that we live very much in the 21st century and not the 19th century. Because I still think, despite the fact that we've all figured out how to use Zoom and we all have Yeti microphones now, we're still living a little bit 200 years ago. And, you know, developing those skills as classical musicians, but also understanding that those skills can translate into her example was playing with Bruce Springsteen, you know, or singing spirituals, which I feel like is still sort of like in the classical music world, that's still new music in the sense that, you know, a lot of the arrangements came out in the 20th century. So that's new music. If anything written after 1960 is so contemporary, heaven forbid you touch anything in the second Viennese school, you know? So it's, it's something that um, I feel like a lot of people in the younger generations are starting to talk about and understand the importance of breaking down those barriers and realizing that we can be classically trained, but that doesn't mean we have to turn our backs on the things that still make other kinds of music great. Mm -hmm. And so the last, well, one of the last questions that I have for you is what you see for yourself in terms of contributing to that development of of classical music and classical music performance. Obviously you have taken a huge leap in your own development of your brand with, you know, developing Kiki conversations and all of the, these awesome things that you have going on. But what for you do you see for yourself or maybe for music in general, what do you see as breaking down those walls to bring us into the 21st century solidly? Right. I think, well, that's a, that's a big question. It is a big question. <laughs> you know, and as someone who came from another big conservatory, the Curtis Institute of Music, I very much know what you're talking about. Yep. Um, you know, uh, I, and also I'm 45, so I am of the, of a different generation than a, a lot of the, you know, the younger singers. So they, they think I'm old. Oh, she's old. No, no, I'm, you still got to practice. You still got to learn your languages. You still have to be excellence like there's a level of excellence has yeah. to still be there but you can still do the social media like this not it doesn't do this <laughs> you know no, what I mean? absolutely not no and i think the idea i think listen i think bottom line is is that we are now in this we have all figured out this medium right now we're doing film now concerts and how you know we can bring classical music to the masses the way that other art forms have already been doing it way ahead of us 
So if we stay in this moment and what we're doing and also acknowledge the things that we don't know and the things that we need to change and opening, expanding that and walk, being more welcoming than we are because sometimes we are shitty and very elitist and classist and to our own detriment. So we need to calm down, acknowledge the things that you don't know, you know, and create help, supporting artists and building their brand, whatever that is, and encouraging them to be themselves, to be as open and expressive. And, you know, of course, the, with, with the level of excellence that you need to be singing and, and performing and playing and doing all these things in all these places, but still being welcome and open. Let's stay in this moment and just keep elevating. Invite some people in from other genres. Mm-hmm. Invite people in from the film industry. Invite people in from, you know, um, um, hip hop, of, you know, all the other art forms, uh, music theater, whatever, that are, that are already in the 21st century. And we still in 19, yeah. uh, whatever. You know, yeah. we that's what we need to do. Put artists who are like myself, you know, much more, um, you know, it's not always about the people that they, that the gatekeepers choose. Sometimes it's about those of us who are out there pushing Mm -hmm. the thing that need to be the people that mainstream people need to see. Sometimes y'all don't know. A lot of times you don't know, and you have to be quiet and sit down and give space for other people. I think that that's what we need to do. And the schools need to do that because the schools are the worst offenders, but of course they are the pipeline. Yes. We are perpetuating all of these stereotypes of all of these poor education. If people are graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt with no, no real entrepreneurial um, education and, yep. and leaning into their own voices, not just your voice, your voice. Yeah, that's yep. what we should be teaching. That's what we should be. You know, everyone always talks about the golden era of this, the golden era of that. You know, like, come on, what was great about the golden era? Everybody was different. Mm. Yeah, you know, people were creating all kind of ex- art. You know, be experimental, be collaborative. I t- I'm still trying to get my 16 bars of hip hop. I'm still my rap. Like my husband says, I'm horrible. I'm like, what? Uh. You know. But again, you know, my I met, uh, I did a um, a, um film this weekend, and my um stylist his husband just signed to Rock Nation as a as a um r&b soul artist and i said bring him here i want to meet him because i'm going to tell him i'm going to work with him yes and he heard my voice because we were you know rehearsing or whatever and i met him i'm like no i'm serious we're going to do something and he was like yeah super cool that's awesome yeah and these schools like mm -mm. well they can't even comprehend something like that no, they can't. And then you would think, you know, it's New York. Oh my God, it's the it's the Mecca. You would think, right? No, that was one of the things that I I realized when I was in the mid- middle of my master's degree. I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go. I had been told by some very important people, you should stick with art song. You shouldn't sing opera. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And then I realized it was kind of, that was a big moment for me when I was like, these people should not have a say mm. in what I get to do and should not be downplaying what other people get to do or telling other people what to do or saying someone can't do something mm. or dictating what is important to me to learn. And that's not to say education isn't important. Obviously it is, right. but having gone through 
oh my gosh, math, nine, five, eight, nine years of college. Wow. Math is hard. You know, it's, it's wild to think that I studied the same 400 ish years of music. The curriculum is trash. The curriculum is trash. <laughs> you know, and that the, the, the same people are telling me, no, this is the, this is what's important. When, as I was getting ready for our talk today, I was in my bathroom, putting on my eyebrows, listening to Billie Eilish yes. because that girl can write a song. Yes. You know? <laughs> I know exactly. And you know, interestingly enough, the first time um, I got to sing champion, which is Terrence Blanchard's piece. Mm -hmm. I San Francisco, SF Jazz was doing a collaboration with Opera Parallel. And I'd never met Terrence. And I was, and I, I, I knew who he was. I knew he was gigantic in the, in the jazz world. You know, I had grew up listening to him um, play on all of the uh, Spike Lee soundtracks. And like, so I knew the sound because I grew up with it. And he, after the performance, he, after the dress rehearsal, he walked over to me and was like, and I was nervous. I like put my hand out, you know, like, nice to meet you. He was like, come here, girl, give me a hug. And like, he embraced me and he was like, you are, you know, you bad, you know, bad meaning good, you know, yeah, bad sister. Da -da -da. And we were just talking and talking and talking. And he, you know, he was like, why aren't you famous? Like you should be everywhere. It took somebody who wasn't even in our world right. to see something and hear something in me. And then he wrote fire shut up in my bones for me. He's mm -hmm. like, no, that's the person. And he is so, such a great mentor and a great like support and all of these things for me, somebody who's not in our world. Mm -hmm. Oh, I never got that kind of love from, I mean, I can't say anybody. There have been people in my, in my, in my career, but like, he's like, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be. Know that, you know, I know that, you know, you, are more you deserve more but again it took somebody who's not even in our genre yeah. to, to pour into me like that that shouldn't be that way mm. and somebody who was successful right somebody who's who's had the thing who's done the thing but been oh, yeah. i still got my shit, you know and he just is just like mm -mm, forget that you know they him and robin pour into me like don't think about those things you got to stay, stay focused don't think about the you know the stuff you've been through you know you just got to keep moving forward well, how that's awesome like, that's why you know like i was saying that's why i'm getting my doctorate is because i'm like i want to be the one making these decisions i want to yeah. be the one updating these curriculums to bring things into the 21st century to have things like contemporary music, electronic music, pop music, spirituals, you know, music that really should be performed, sung, appreciated, and loved every single day. Yeah. Along into our curriculum and not just like, oh, well, this is a very new special thing. This is different. You're strange for performing this music. Why would you do this? You know, it's not <laughs> part of the classical canon. Absolutely. You know, I have a desire to be a um a, a, a consultant for orchestras because i think orchestra programming is trash yeah for those those special concerts and all that mess uh the black history program or the latinx or the asian this or the yeah especially for vocal come on uh -huh. you guys know they're uh -huh. like no that's not people don't want to come see that again Mm -hmm. you've been doing for, for 10 years you know yep. so i think that needs to be a complete overhaul and i hope during this time we don't try to slip back into what's comfortable the comfortable you know <laughs> i say the comfortable like robe that is 
filthy. It's got like, you know, coffee stains, (laughs) like, you know, smelly, you know, it's got potato chips on it, but it's comfortable, (laughs) is what you know, but it's, but it's not actually. I think Karen's describing my bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's that thing of like, ooh, but it's a mess. It's what we're, it's such a great metaphor. It's what we're used to. We think we're comfy in it. And really you take a step back and you look at that bathrobe. I think what you said is so important to remember because I feel like so much, and I, I've talked to Sam about this. I feel like there was a huge cosmic shift around the election when we realized that both election wise and pandemic wise, there was no going back to what was normal pre-pandemic and pre-election, you know? And I feel like people are going to try really hard once everyone is vaccinated to go back to what that dirty potato chippy coffee stained crusty bathrobe that's comfortable. You know, it's the safety blanket. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's up to us to encourage people to say, there's something much better on the other side of all of this that will allow us to live more freely, to express truth in a really beautiful and freeing way. And I'm hoping that all of us can be conduits for that and not just recede back into our crusty bathrobes. Well, and the and the um the the group that has been doing the most of that this past year has been individuals followed closely by by small arts organizations. We are the speedboats in this situation. Them big behemoths are the yachts and they're taking a little too long to turn the ship around. They're cruise ships. You mean yachts? They're, yeah, they're cruise ships. They're cruise ships and they just hit some icebergs. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So nailed it, Laura. It's up to us. Classical music needs to be needs to be the the, the catalyst in the forefront of the change. Yeah. We are a dynamic, incredible art form. We yeah. are everything. We are everything that yeah. you know that is trans. That should be transformative. We need to be leading that. One yeah. of the things that I've talked about, or I talked about in the most recent podcast episode I put out, um, was this idea of craft, and that we as classical musicians have taken time not only to craft our voices or our instruments or our technique, but to craft our languages, to craft how we tell our stories, to craft how we connect to people. And that's not just, you know, how we stand on a stage, but in your case, that's how we talk to people over Zoom or how we um, create a social media presence or how we bring people together to experience something new or special or different or emotional and i think it's really important to for us to recognize going forward that we can't lose the craft Mm -hmm. and i think there's there's gonna be i don't know i don't know about the rest of y'all but i haven't actually practiced in a while it's been a long time and you know that's one of those things where i'm like i can always go back to it it'll be fine but it's the work going into the craft that keeps what we do alive and special and different yeah. and really amazing from, from all the other sort of noise that's happening around us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Karen, we, we, we sort of asked you why art song for you uh, earlier, but if there are any parting thoughts you have in terms of, you know, any nuggets you want to leave our millions and millions of listeners with for just, you know, why art song for you or why art song in general, mm-hmm. and um, especially how it could possibly meet the moment we're in now. Why art song for me? Because there are no there are no boxes in our song. There are no um, costumes. There are no props. There are no, um, nothing to lean on. Just you with your partner telling your story. Mm-hmm. And I, I cannot um, emphasize enough how, if you are a real artist, if you are a true artist and you step into that, um, that that is your power mm-hmm. is, is, is growing that, expanding it, making it stronger. It's like building a muscle, mm-hmm. you know? Um, build, you know, but we always talk about building stamina as an opera singer, right? You know, being able to sing these big long phrases and be able to, but I think our song helps you build your muscle, your mind and your your spirit. Yeah. You know, and you have to keep doing that and you and you have to keep exploring. Listen, I I don't know nearly as much repertoire as I as I need to learn. I know what I I know what I need to know for whatever I'm doing, but God, the the breadth of repertoire. When I start talking about subject matter and I ask my friends and like, "Oh, you can do this 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 this." And I'm like, "I don't need I didn't even know that existed." But that's why art song for me is because I can just keep peeling the book and opening the book and seeing all these gems and all these jewels. And not everything is great. No, but nope. there's something nope. for everybody. Yeah, and, and then you have the the, the you know I, I just I I can't exp- stress enough to young singers. You know, listen, I remember I was making a um I was gonna do the 24 Italian art songs. I was going to a university. God bless. We love those 24 Italian art songs and arias. We yeah. love them. They kicked my ass. Okay, when I tell you, Seriously? people are like, "Oh, these are shit. They're so easy." You know, you learn them in your freshman year of undergrad. They are so hard. They are hard. They yeah. are technique in a book. <laughs> oh my gosh! Between that and Mozart, you never have to take a voice lesson again. Absolutely, and I and I didn't, you know, and I and naively I thought I'm gonna teach these kids how as a mature artist I'm gonna go and sing. And then I started working on them. I was like, oh my God. like, like Gloria was kicking my ass. Oh my gosh, for me it was oh. That was the end of me. <laughs> Oh my God, you know, but again, it was, I had to build that muscle back up, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like singing <laughs> Ariadne or singing, you know, it's a different kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, that's why our song, because you're forever a student of the art and oh, you yes. have to keep doing the thing, you know, yes. and um, if I could leave anybody with anything is don't tell them who, who you are, you find out who you are, you mm. find out what you want to say. And then you go and say it. Don't wait. Don't wait. Yes. Them. Yes. You know, be intentional. Be immediate. Be on top of any all of the things. Be just be right. Be the mm-hmm. things. And, and unapologetically can, so. Unapologetically, and then they can tell you whatever they want to tell you. But like mm-hmm. I said, you know, before I, when I want to talk to my friends. I'm like, they can say whatever you want to say about me, but I know who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and I, but that comes from me doing the work. Right, right. You know, and right. so just be unapologetic, unapologetically and always continue to learn and be curious. Mm-hmm. Be curious 
And if this is not for you, it's okay to go do something else. <laughs> 100%. You know? 100%. I don't think enough people say that. It's like, it's okay to do something else. It is okay. It, it, and if it's for you, it will it will chase you down. Even yeah. when you don't want it, you're like, no, no. And it'll be like, come on, come on. Mm-hmm. But also, also, even before going and doing something else is it's so amazing to hear your words, Karen, and it's such good advice for young singers because uh, young artists in general, so many people give up if they don't immediately hit a quote traditional career. Right. They do not. Then they think they're failures. They feel terrible about themselves and then they go do something else. Right. Where is the consideration for what in my view is becoming more and more requirement in today's ever-changing classical music landscape that you have these entrepreneurial characteristics that you go and start something for yourself that you make work for yourself it's more important and necessary than ever as traditional opportunities continue to you know for better for worse dry up um we can't have everybody jump ship because then there won't be anybody else to experiment and see what we can evolve into so you know, there's, there's that aspect of it too. And I'm so passionate about that thought and topic because it's literally, we literally, no one can convince us that except ourselves, that it's okay to not have a quote traditional path. It's actually kind of better. 100%, but you got, you got to get a taste of it before most people have to get a taste of it before they before they trust that so it's like a it's like a chicken egg situation but i feel like it's so hard i know like karen if you had come up to me as a senior in college fresh little 21 year old me and said it's okay for you not to get into a young artist program when you're 24 right after you finish your master's degree and it's okay if you don't study with this person and it's okay to like art song and it's okay to go <laughs> arts administration if you had told me that i would have been like get the fuck out of here right now because i'm gonna go to this i'm gonna continue at juilliard for my master's and then i'm gonna go sing at the met and i'm gonna be famous damn it yeah you know and that would have that would have been it would, I feel like we, or at least in my case, in my instance, that that had not been made clear to me that it was okay to make those decisions for myself. Yeah. Because many people who leave the, again, going back to what we said, they leave the business, they walk away. They never, they never stay in it long enough. Everyone's afraid to really tell you the truth. It's not about being good or bad. It's just saying that you'll be okay if you don't sing in all the big houses, but you are a working artist. If you are working, if you are making art, it's okay to have the desires of creating your own opera company, your own, your own um, art song um, program, initiative, whatever. Like, put, like this is a part of the trash education that we all get is that it's not actually supporting. Listen, I tell you, I was, I, because I went to the big institution, I was trained as a racehorse. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially at Curtis, which is like this big compared to Juilliard, which is yeah. really big. Curtis is very small. So all you yeah. see is the Metropolitan Opera, San Francisco, Lyric Opera Chicago, Lincoln Center, Vienna, you know, La Scala. But what if, what, what if you don't what, like and then 9-11 happened. See, for me, I was launching right right when 9-11 happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, not, not 9-11, the, um, the 2008 crash. Yep. Like made my debut in 2006. 
07 was singing, 08, the bottom fell out. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened to those blinders? They had to fall off because I was mm-hmm. like, oh my, everything shut down. Same thing in this instance. And I had to figure it, figure it out. And my voice was changing and I was changing agents and I had to go, oh my God, I wasn't being hired to sing the same repertoire, you know, because my voice was doing something different. And I had to go back and reinvent myself in the middle of a crisis. Right. But, but I had the intestinal fortitude. I had the thing and I was depressed. I got married in 2007. Mm -hmm. I'm on a high and doing all these things. And I'm, I mean, it was just so many things in my life that were happening at the time. And I, and I had to take those blinders off and I had to see the world for what it really was, which is what I created. Yes. What I create. Yes. Yes. You know, inspiration to us all. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And I and I hope that young people and older people and, you know, pe- take my story and take my um, um, my experience and, and, and as something to be and to inspire, inspire them. That's why I say, ask me anything. Let's have the conversation. I'm not afraid to say when I didn't have any work, I had to figure that shit out. Right, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Right. You know, when my phone wasn't ringing, even before the pandemic, I had a, I had a, a incident where I was singing at a company and they didn't like my performance. And then I wasn't able to get the other contract that I wanted. So literally at the same time I was singing all those concerts, I had gotten bad news about my career, about this big jig gigantic company. It was like, no, not her. And mm-hmm. then the pandemic happened. So yeah. I'm carrying all of these things. And here I am a year later. Yeah in a completely different space in a completely different power situation and all of those things on my terms yes that's it that's it that's it so the people's diva karen slack how can people connect with you because gosh, if I was listening to this, this episode 90 minutes in, I'd be like, oh my God, I'm knocking on her door. So don't give us your address because <laughs> we know that front door will get broken down. But where can people follow you and support you? Uh, all on my socials. Instagram is Kiki Slack Soprano, uh, Kiki Slack, uh, Twitter, and Karen uh-huh. Slack on my Facebook fan page in um on my personal page i'm always very accessible to i mean the crazy people can stay away but (laughs) that crazy people go away (laughs) we don't need you here (laughs) no no one is a stranger to me and no one and everyone i don't believe in fans i just believe in friends until they until they act up (laughs) (laughs) in which case you send them our way and we'll take care of them i like i like that a lot yeah good Perfect. Laura, what else? My heart is full. Do we have pithy advice that we need? I think Karen gave us the pithy advice. She was like, be yourself, do your thing. (laughs) Don't let anyone else tell you what to do. And damn it, I'm going to go and be myself and not let anyone else tell me what to do. There is no no pithier (laughs) advice except one thing. And that is... Coconut LaCroix is the absolute best. I will You're fight wrong. you. You are wrong. End the podcast. End it. End it right now. <laughs> this is not your podcast. And I know, I but you know. Anyone else, including Karen, will agree with you. Yeah. Whatever it's you gross. <laughs> Thank you so much for speaking with us, Karen. This was a true joy and a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Anytime. Anytime.
I don't and, think uh, I've ever smiled so much. <laughs> and like hopefully, ho hopefully we'll all be in a room together before far too long. Thank you so much for listening. The more of these episodes I do, the more moved I am by the power of story and connection. Karen has an incredible story and she continues to further connect the artistic world through the power of storytelling. It's awesome. You can catch us here every other Monday with new episodes of Song Cycle. And be sure to check us out online at cincinnatisonginitiative.org and on all the socials. Until next time, just keep singing, y'all. <laughs>